The best farmers are connected to the land physically, emotionally, and spiritually. The relationship is incredibly intimate as the farmer tends to the plants and the soil, and the earth returns food, fiber, and flowers. The farmer integrates themselves into the living system of the field and becomes one with nature's cycles and rhythms. This is the style of cannabis farming that is the pride of the Emerald Triangle area of Northern California between Humboldt, Mendocino, and Trinity counties. It's the heart of America's heritage cannabis farming, and this region is spoken of with reverence by cannabis enthusiasts all over the world. Today, we're going to speak to one such farmer. Alan Adkison is an internationally respected proponent and educator of probiotic growing techniques. He has developed large-scale anaerobic solid-state fermentation for both the U.S. dairy industry and the cannabis industry going back decades. He was mentored by both the revered Eddie Lepp and the late Jack Herrer, whose microorganism research and development Alan carries on to this day. He is co-founder of the Probiotic Farmers Alliance group on Facebook and is also founder of Grokashi, a specialty living fertilizer provider. He lives in a banana belt region of the Emerald Triangle near Laytonville, California. I'm your host, Shango Lose, and today's show is packed with insight into both plants and humans, historical context going all the way back to Roman times, and some awfully fine storytelling. So sit back, slow down, and enjoy this week's episode of Shaping Fire. Welcome to the show, Alan. Hey, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, before we go into the meat of the show, uh, I totally want you to talk a little bit about where you live because, you know, in the short time that we've been getting to know each other, um, you've been telling me about where you live there in Northern California, and it just sounds like a totally amazing place to not only live, but grow cannabis. Will you just tell everybody about it a little bit? Okay. Um, I live in what's known as a banana belt region here in Mendocino, California, and town called Laytonville. I live at the bottom of a peak called Cotto Peak. And uh, our, let me think, four or five of your past Emerald Cup uh, winners are my uh, neighbors here in our neighborhood. And uh, on the back side of my property is probably uh, 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 one of the most well-known uh, vineyards in the region, too. And so, uh, you know, if that many great Emerald Cup winners are coming from that area, is it, are, are people trying to come there to grow because of the, the additional sun that you get? Or is there something special with the local soil? Or, or do you just get less, um, you know, less mist so that's less likely to get mold? I mean, what's the, what's the magic there? Well, I think that 4,500 uh, foot peak behind us, the, the onshore flow splits and goes around us. And so the microclimate here is very unique. And uh, that's what makes it possible to go grow grapes in this area. I imagine it would be a great region also for, uh, you know how like shade-grown coffees and things like that are preferred? Yeah. I think we have kind of the same type of climate here. And uh, when I first moved here, the property above me, it was um, dominated by the cartel grows. And after the landhold had gotten in trouble a few times, they needed uh, some uh, people that could move onto the, that property and, you know, exclude, you know, the cartel from coming back. That's where I brought in. Uh, I put, are you familiar with uh, Leo Stone from Aficionado? Yeah, totally. Leo and Gene. Yeah. Okay. So Leo was working for an old friend of mine and they, their partnership was just splitting up. And, you know, Leo was in the army. So I, uh, I put Leo and another friend of mine that was ex-Special Forces on the property above me. And that's where Aficionado was born. Wow, that's a great story. I'm really glad I asked. And, you know, that there, there's something about having your grow in this, in this uh, shadow of the mountain or, or, you know, essentially being protected by the mountain since the mountain is splitting the clouds. There's, a, there's some romance in that. Yeah, it's... I, I don't know what I did to be so blessed as to have the universe, you know, let me have the property that I, I'm living on now. 
but it it's a beautiful place and I'm just honored to be here. Right on, fantastic. So let's let's talk some probiotics. So, you know, we talk a lot about probiotic growing on this show, but you know, for a lot of growers uh, still using bottled nutrients, that term may not actually mean anything. I mean, they know that it's some kind of natural growing, but because they're so used to using bottles and may not have done the research yet, they, you know, the term doesn't mean much for them. Would you explain the frustration that many cannabis growers have with bottled nutrients and why a probiotic approach is different? Well, one thing that many of us realized is that, because, I mean, most of us, I'm, I'm not excluded. I came from the bottle background, too. I, I originally came here from Sacramento, and I worked for uh, and with Dale and Molly Fry. They taught me how to grow with like earth juice. But when I moved up here, you know, I kind of fell in like everyone else and started, you know, using bottles because they were so easy to use. And the the appearance, you know, the bag appeal was incredible. You know, what came from some of like the original three, two, one mix from General Hydroponics Mm -hmm. created some incredible, incredible crops. You just had to really have your your flesh game on, you know, strong. So that, you know, it wasn't so noticeable that they were grown with synthetics. After a while, though, you know, um, especially if one has any kind of a vision or anything like that, it kind of keeps you from from going that route any longer. I'll, I'll tell you a story, okay? Um, yeah. I come from the dairy industry. I, I was in the dairy industry for roughly 25 years in the Sacramento Valley and up in the Yakima Valley in Washington. I, I ran my dad's subsidiary company up north. And uh, one of my customers... We, were, we, we covered silage pits. They, they say that we were instrumental in, you know, um, getting the farmers to adopt solid-state fermentation with their, their feed for silage. That's a fancy way to say we covered it and fermented it, you know. I was working at this mega dairy uh, up in Washington State called the Ord Dairy. And Henry Ord... Um, he decided that he wanted to have the runoff from our fermenting of the silage pits uh, go into his manure lagoon. And what happened is instead of the manure lagoon, you know, being the, the typical one with, you know, everything dead all around it, his manure lagoon was, it was starting to attract, um, you know, frogs, ducks, things like that. And uh, we, the only thing we could figure was that maybe it was because the, the runoff from using the lactic acids and things to ferment the silage was in some way bioremediating some of the toxins in the manure lagoons that, um, you know, keep wildlife from coming typically around them. And we did some scientific testing and fairly quickly, uh, the ord dairies, uh, his manure lagoon and his dairy was no longer, you know, regarded as part of this toxic Superfund site. That's where we kind of developed, you know, way back. I mean, this is like 1993 or four. The theory of beneficial runoff coming from these silage pits that we were uh, inoculating and fermenting with lactic acid bacteria. And I I worked with some of the best um, nutritionists from UC Davis. Because through fermentation, we could make the food more bioavailable for the animals also. Well, we took in... We use the same theory. I, I started working uh, with uh, Reverend Eddie Lepp, you know, at the healing fields, the, the famous healing fields. And he wanted to buy this 40 acres and uh, across the highway from his main facility and, and grow the huge garden that everyone knows, you know, it was so famous now. And we w- he asked me, Alan, how do you think we should irrigate it? And I said, well, you've got that canal right there that runs through the middle of the 40 acres and goes directly to Clear Lake. And he said, yeah, but if we do that, then, you know, we're going to get in trouble with EPA from the runoff from the fields. I said, well, wait a minute. Let's, let's go back and use, you know, some of the technology that I used in the dairy industry and claim beneficial runoff. And then what we'll do is we'll test the canal and prove, you know, uh, the, the runoff from the crops uh, was beneficial to Clear Lake. It, it proved out to be true. We, we basically made um, a 40-acre ebb and flow. That's pretty radical, actually. You know, I mean, not only reputationally, since 
cannabis runoff has got such a bad reputation and agricultural runoff generally has got a bad reputation, the idea that your runoff could actually be beneficial to the natural environment and not throw it out of balance, that's a pretty radical thought. Well, I mean, not only that, um, it, it, it would be, in my opinion, proper risk management, right? Test your runoff and prove scientifically that it's beneficial for the local ecology. And that way, if some state regulator or someone wanted to come and pull your licensing, it would give you standing in a court of law to, to you know, keep them at arm's length and keep your operation running. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think it's probably worthwhile to unpack the idea of um, the fermented materials that you're putting on top. You know, essentially what you're doing is you are adding uh, microbial communities to, you know, both the grow and then the surrounding areas. And so instead of just pounding your, your crops with NPK that when it runs off, it throws nature out of balance, instead of just adding those, you're actually adding the, you know, the basic communities of life. And so when they run off your property, they're just, help, you know, they're just providing the basic communities of life in a different place. Exactly, exactly. Although I would add one thing to it. You don't want to just um, add the microbes. You want to add the microbes and the prebiotics that are necessarily to, uh, while they're breeding, you want to, to meet every epigenetic need that they might have. You want, we want super microbes. So what kind of diet, uh, you know, what, what, what are these prebiotics that you add that uh, you know, gives them this buffet so that they can go hog wild? Well, if you understand oneness with the soil and the microbes and you understand that you yourself are you're predominantly made of microorganisms, then I thought, I'm going to treat my fermentations and my microbes the same way that a naturopathic doctor would treat uh, a female with a fertility issue. So when I make like our Grokashi product, I, I add a multivitamin mineral complex and lots of other, you know, like fresh juiced uh, beet juice and things like that, all organic. And I really go out of my way. I treat my 300-pound fermentation barrel nutritionally as if it was a person. And we were treating that person for a fertility issue. That makes sense to me. You're, you're, you're creating a beneficial environment for growth. Yeah. And so if, if the prebiotics that we use in our, in our solid-state fermentation aren't used up during the fermentation, then they still are basically in the toolbox of the microbes to be handed out later on. Yeah, that makes sense to me. So, <clears throat> so we're going to talk more about um, the particular fermentations that you prefer in the second set. But, but before we wrap up the first set here, you know, we started by talking about the bottles and the three, two, one, and the like, the really beautiful, um, you know. Uh, uh, bag beautiful flowers that you got with that and then you said you shifted to the you know the probiotics so i'm sure that there's a lot of growers who are concerned that they'll have lesser yields or that the flowers will have less bag appeal from moving from bottled nutrients to nutrient teas and such that we're talking about today you know what have you oh. seen from others who have gotten brave and made the jump from what they are you know they're comfortable with in the bottle to something more natural that we're talking about today well First, can I tell you that I didn't just make the jump because of ecology, although that's a very strong point. I made the jump because um, I was an Emerald Cup judge, and I was thinking, what in the world is the difference in the winners? Because, I mean, I'm a pretty competitive guy, I, you know. And so I was thinking that it might mean nutrient density. You know, because in wine, that's the difference between something that has, you know, complex uh, aroma and taste is, you know, high nutrient density is everything in wine. You know, you know what a uh, low density, uh, uh, low nutrient density wine is called? No, I don't. It's vinegar. Oh. <laughs> so anyway, I, I said, how can I test this? I called up a, a company called Natural Check and I talked to the CEO and he actually owns the company too. But he, um, he said, you know, Alan, I've been waiting 20 years for somebody from cannabis to call me. And what I want to share with you is that in my 20 years in the field, I've never seen 
anything grown with synthetics reach a high nutrient density level. And I said, oh, my God, that's interesting. I have access to all of these entries from the Emerald Cup. What if we, you and I could figure out a way to uh, reconstitute the, the herb and then I could get, uh, use your refractometer to, to get a BRICS rating on it? And he said, okay, that's great. We did that. And what I found is that all of our winners had a very high nutrient density content compared to the rest of the contestants. So they were, they were super packed with, I mean, life force for lack of yeah, a better they, term. They had, they had a way more trace minerals in them than the, the, you know, the, the plants that, and the entries that, you know, really, uh, never stood out. Mm-hmm. So I thought, huh, well, what's, how, how can I reach this nutrient density level, you know? And, well, it's through natural farming practices, through basically allowing the plant to live in symbiosis with these myceliums and these probiotic uh, microorganisms in the soil. And so, uh, you know, fast forward a few years, I'm, I'm working with uh, Eddie. And, well, how do I say this without sounding crazy? <laughs> Just go for it. We're good with crazy here. Okay, so I'm working with, I knew Eddie for seven years, and I hung out, and I watched people come and go, and Eddie had this famous poster on his stairs that showed all the Illuminati families, and he was always like, those are the bad guys, and I was like, yeah, but Eddie, you see that Keller name right there? I'm a Keller. I go, we're no different than the microbes, you know, those families, 5% of those families are good people. Because I fully believe that we're no different than the microbes we're made out of. Five percent, or you know, roughly of us, are uh, pathogenic. So basically, you know, sociopaths and psychopaths. Five percent of us are probiotic. You know, like uh, people that are more empathic. And then ninety percent, roughly, of us, of our species, are uh, well, they're opportunistic, just like the microbes. Mm-hmm. It's sad to say, but I believe this. And so he said, well, what do you mean? I go, well, I'm a Keller. Look on your thing there. You're saying that all those families and everyone in them are bad. And I'm saying, you've known me for how many years? You, you really think that, you know, I'm an evil person just because I come from one of those families? He said, no. Matter of fact, I want to share something with you. I'm like, okay. He goes, be back here next, uh, next week. And, and people that are in the know know that at Eddie's Farm, um, seasonally they had like a tea ceremony where it was like a a tea for a southwestern shaman you know mushrooms and such yeah yeah and so i go i went back down there and i'm a guy who uh i'm a you know old bouncer and stuff i i had only smoked pot and uh drank alcohol i always steered clear of hard drugs and i had never done mushrooms or anything like that and so I brought, uh, I brought my wife down with me because Eddie wanted me to stay the night, you know, and do this tea, tea ceremony at midnight. And I also was a guy who had built, you know, three, three companies previous to getting into, you know, the cannabis game. And so I did that, you know, with like Tony Robbins using his programs. And so I know that if you're going to go meet someone important, you know, the very best way that you could honor them is to try to... Uh, come up with a great question for them that you think they might want to answer. Well, I don't know. You know, I guess if you're going to do mushrooms and have a mushroom tea, maybe you're trying to meet God or something or nature. And so earlier in the day, my brother, who was doing great with these sub-irrigated planters, these earth boxes, he said, "Um, Alan, I I think, uh," and he's pretty intuitive, my brother is. He said, I think these uh, earth boxes have something to do with like the technology behind the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. So I go down there and I'm going to go to this tea ceremony and my wife and I go upstairs to go to sleep. We come back down, do the tea ceremony, go back up to go to sleep, you know, at about one o'clock. And I wrote down on a piece of paper, uh, how did the Hanging Gardens of Babylon operate? And I fell asleep to what looked like um, a stack of different colors moving back and forth. And I just had this weird... the, the First of all, it was like a mission. It was like, if you should accept this mission, <laughs> you know. And, okay, I'm down. Uh, and I had this dream, 
And it was like, you know how uh, in a computer, when you put a zip drive in, like nothing's there and you put the zip drive in and it's all there. Uh-huh. And I kind of saw, I didn't kind of saw, I got like the, the business plan on, on how those gardens operated and how they use solid state fermentations because those people in those times were the kings of fermentation and how they used um, these sub-irrigated planters, but the sub-irrigated planter really represented a gut. And what you did is there was like a fairly soilless medium in the bottom. You built a mycelial mat on top of it. Then you put your manure on top of that, but then they, they covered it with a skin so that the mycelium and the things that are normally light pruned are no longer light pruned, and so that because they were in a desert region, the thing used about a third of the water that any other type of farming would use. It took me two years to talk myself into trying it. But when I when I did try it, it, it not only worked, but it worked exceptionally well. And so we started, uh, Eddie was in prison about that time, and we started doing a methodology patent for what it meant to be probiotically farmed. And... Um, let me see where I can go from there. Oh. We were working with a, a patent attorney down in the Bay Area who um, apparently talked to some friends about the work we were doing. And the next thing you'd know, we had uh, some people from the alcohol in, and tobacco industry contacting us. And they were all friendly at first. They wanted – because we were doing this patent, methodology patent, in the name of humanity. Because, you know, you don't want, like – information like that to be taken and shelved away and so they contacted us and they wanted to give us like five million dollars for eddie's likeness and all rights to probiotically farmed in the methodology patent um but they would not in any way guarantee that they wouldn't shelf the technology oh wow so we told them no and then all of a sudden they started mentioning some friends of ours that were in um free energy that had had um, gag orders and things placed upon them and they were kind of threatening that they could not only place a gag order on us somehow but they could make Eddie's time in prison rougher I mean at first they're like yeah sign with us we, we could put the legal team on and maybe even get Eddie out of prison a little early yeah they changed their tune at this point no matter of fact they just became dicks about it oh. <laughs> and so I called Eddie and Eddie said um, Alan, I want you, if you're down, go up to, because I was headed to the Emerald Cup that day. And he said, make it public knowledge. Um, Tim allowed me to uh, do a quick workshop. And I just taught everyone everything we knew right then and there. Wow, that's a, uh, that's a very fortunate thing. I mean, not only for everybody who was there and for the ideas behind the tech, but Geez, I mean, that could have gotten bottled up from that point forward. That was a pretty brave move just to decide to tell everybody all at once and, uh, and get that information out there. Yeah, we had some plants that were grown. There's some videos that you saw on Discovery Channel where um, Tim Blake was walking through one of his greenhouses mm-hmm. and he was petting this one plant in the middle of the greenhouse. That's the plant that, that I planted that day. Right on. Well, hey, I want to hear more of the story, but we need to take our first short break and be right back. You are listening to Shaping Fire, and my guest today is Alan Atkinson, founder of the Probiotic Farmers Alliance and Grokashi. If you like podcasts like Shaping Fire, chances are that you'll like audiobooks too. Just like with podcasts, audiobooks speak to you, tell you stories, and teach you stuff. Here's the thing. Audible.com has an offer that I want to tell you about. Right now, they are offering a trial of their audiobook service for absolutely free. You can go to shapingfire.com forward slash audible and you'll get a free audiobook straight up. You can listen to it on your mobile device, computer, or download it and listen to it, you know, like anywhere. It's really simple. Of course, they want you to subscribe to their service after the free trial and enjoy audiobooks forever, but you don't have to. All you have to do to get the free audiobook of your choice is to just check out the service for free. And the service is pretty great. There are whole sections on permaculture, sci-fi, history, um, biography. Hell, you can even listen to a book about card counting and blackjack. 
whatever. It's all pretty rad. So that's the deal. Your first book is free. It's easy to sign up. It's easy to quit. And their online library of free books is pretty incredible. So just check it out. Go to shapingfire.com forward slash audible to find out more, or just click on the link in this week's newsletter. Welcome back. You are listening to Shaping Fire, and I'm your host, Shango Lose. And our guest this week is Alan Adkison, founder of the Probiotic Farmers Alliance on Facebook and Grow Kashi. So before the break, we were talking about, you know, the history of probiotic growing coming to the cannabis world and, and how you essentially made that information, you know, open source at, at an Emerald Cup. But one thing I want to hit before we go into what, you know, some of your preferential uh, nutrient fermentations are is, you know, there's a lot of people who are going to be weighing using synthetic nutrients to get really bag worthy, you know, you know, flowers with really great bag appeal versus going the probiotic route, which takes a little bit more effort. And, um, and you never really like locked down about the flower itself, why you think it's better than the synthetic stuff. So, so if you, if you'd hit that for me before we move on, I'd appreciate that. Oh, sure. Okay. It's my opinion that when you let a mycelial mat dictate the delivery, how much, how much nutrients and exactly what nutrients and trace minerals are delivered to the plant that's when you can achieve these these very high nutrient density levels. I think that some people, they fall victim when they first try to go organic and they don't understand that it's going to take your soil one, two, sometimes maybe three crops to get up to its full potential. By the time your second or third, people in no-till know this, you know, but by the time your soil gets up to its second or third crop, that's when you really start competing heavily with the same yields that we would have attained from uh, our, our bottled crops. Now, I will say this. Um, when I first started doing this to get traction with people, um, we called it anaerobic hydroponics through probiotics. And I put on a series that you can find. If you go into the Probiotic Farmers Alliance and you type in DEP on a dime, I showed people uh, every day. I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to show you every day what we did on the crop. And uh, we were able to uh, grow a crop of the Synex. We had some other plants, but Synex was mainly what I was working with because it had been heavily tested by uh, SC Labs and other labs, so we knew what to expect from it. When we grew it out using our probiotic methodology, or what we call probiotically farmed with the SIPs, it, it set new records for terpenes. And to this day, now that was around a year and a half ago, and one of the top clubs up here is owned by Tim Blake, and it's the Healing Harvest Farms Club. Um, we, we've held the, uh, the top price point for a year and a half with the, the Cinex from that crop that we grew in front of everybody. So I wanted to um, alleviate people's fears that they would not be able to compete you know, if they took this route. Right on. That's that's what I was looking for. And so, um, you know, is the is the bag appeal the same? Like visually, because like <clears throat> sometimes when describing, um, you know, uh, uh, synthetic and indoor versus probiotic and outdoor, it feels like you know they they both produce decent flowers, but but the the indoor synthetic stuff is kind of like like looks like an Olympian, and sometimes looks a little strange because it's so. Um, grown in a super uh, un, unnatural, um, artificial kind of way, but the product you get is still amazing and wins insane awards and is enjoyable to smoke. Um, mm-hmm. but, then, but then you've got the other kind of folks, like think of maybe like a high school cross-country runner, also super fit, but they run on country roads and, you know, they're obviously a fit person, but they, um, you know, they're, they're a little more natural, right? And so these are both incredible athletes but they, they, they appear differently. Does the probiotic stuff, you know, even when it smells good, does it still have the coloration that you get with, um, with synthetics? Or do you give up a little bit of that for a nose and a taste that'll blow everybody away? No, we surpass the synthetics. Right on. But, you know, one of, the, one of the statements that we made early on um, is that the truth is in the smoke. Now, in our community, one of the cool things about our community is I don't care who is in the smoking circle. I, I could be standing there with Kyle or Ed or, you know, 
rest of soul jack or eddie any of these people and we're not like uh typical wine snobs if some new if some kid walks up to our circle and has an herb that'll blow our mind that's what's cool about cannabis you know a lot of people in our industry talk the talk but if you can show up with herb that blows people's minds that's walking the walk you know and it's not just you know I, i was able to be successful you know doing that but now with like the PFA, we're coming up on 20,000 members there. And there are people that are actually using our logo, uh, growing probiotically to uh, establish themselves in their local markets because people are looking, you know, they're going around at the clubs looking and asking, okay, where can I get probiotically farm materials? And when we say the proof is in the smoke, if it wasn't, they would call bullshit on us and they would have a long time ago. Yeah, that makes sense. And you know, I, if, if I saw a PFA logo um, on somebody's grow, I would be attracted to that. I mean, in a way, it's a it's kind of like a seal of approval. Um, the things that I've learned, and, and let's be real clear, the Probiotic Farmers Alliance is a group on Facebook, um, about you know 20,000 people strong, um, where everybody is discussing in detail um, these techniques that we're, we're merely skimming the surface of today. So, so that's where I got turned on to probiotics and, 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 and met Alan, luckily. Um, so anyway, you should check that out if you're into this topic that we're talking about today. But, but your logo itself, the, the purple triangle, if I saw that on somebody's grow, I would immediately be into that stuff because I know that it's grown in a way that I, you know, that I aspire to grow better at and it probably tastes great and I know that it's not going to have any garbage right and even the logo you know the group designed the logo the group started as just beta testers i took 25 testers um and when you say that i'm the founder of pfa that's technically i'm a co-founder um michael fong people know him as uh m4k uh at gauge green i was working with them at the time and and he and i started it with uh the 25 first people in what's now the pfa they they were from the Gage Green testers, mm-hmm. and uh, when we were done beta testing, we had three or four hundred members members by then of Grokashi because we had the members help us formulate it. We wanted to know of the top growers what what would you want in your Bokashi if you were going to have a dream Bokashi. So he helped me form that, and and that's where it all started. Right on, cool. Well, thank you for clarifying that. I always like to have the oral history to be straight. So, so, hey, so we've got about, um, oh, about four or five minutes here before our next break. Um, and I'd love to have you describe how to make, you know, I know there's lots of different nutrient teas that can be, that can be made. Would you just give a, a simple recipe um, that people can start with um, so that they can, you know, find, see what it's like to make their own fermentation and tr- treat their plants with it so that, that you know, so we have like a, a place to start for people and then hopefully they get excited by the results and then they, you know, they start researching more and, and join the Probiotic Farmers Alliance. So, so give us something simple that people can start with. It depends on what's local in their region. I mean, if you had, these skills can really be looked at as um, a survival skill. What would I do if I only had horse manure or what would I do if I only had rabbit manure or llama or alpaca? You know, I, you would make a tea out of it and, and basically make a beverage that you're going to feed to the earth. You'd use a, one problem with um, manure teas and things like that is there, there could be a pathogen hiding in it. So we depend on competitive uh, exclusion to outcompete those pathogens by using our favorite probiotics, which is like the lactic acids and the lactic acid bacteria. So, you know, look and find what's, what's around you. Like Jack Hare wanted me to use um, sugar sources from different uh, crops grown locally around Clear Lake at the time too, for biodiversity. You know, sometimes we had plums available to us and all this, but Later on, we decided to use beets because, I mean, a beet is a sugar source that basically grows right in the mycelial layer. And so I also thought uh, I wanted to make sure that the streptomyces was in our bokashis. So I knew it was going to be in the wheat because I use a Mennonite-grown organic uh, hard red winter wheat brand. But then as a backup, because my theory is one, you know, one is two is two is one, one is none. 
So I knew that if I use the beet and the wheat, I'm going to make sure that I have plenty of IMOs and especially the streptomyces in it. And that streptomyces and the LAB are going to outcompete any pathogens that might be hiding in uh, other components that you can find to put in your tea. So to so to break this down even more basic, so are you saying that you take you take a you know five gallon bucket and cut up some beets and um, put your your hard winter wheat in there and and fill it with water and put a bubbler in it and let it sit for three days and let it start to ferment? I mean, is it is it that simple? No, I put it all in my solid state fermentation first, and then after that, I can take my solid state fermentation. And put it in a in a bucket. And I really wouldn't use a, a bubbler because these are these are more anaerobic microorganisms. It was it would be like if you were making a beer or a kibos, mm-hmm. you wouldn't use a bubbler. I understand now. And when I you say when you say solid state, is that more of like what I think of like traditional compost, like just meaning no no added liquids? Just mix no, all there's in. there's added liquids, but it's at roughly a sixty percent moisture content. Hmm. Right so on. you mix it up until it's good and wet, you know, but a, a good rule of thumb would be when you make your solid state fermentation, add fluid until you can just barely squeeze some drops of water out of it. I mean, it was the same indicator that we used for silage when I was working with the, the nutritionists from Davis. They would tell me, Alan, check the silage while they're bringing it in from the fields and, and let me know if you can squeeze water and it rolls down your wrist, your wrist call me. Because I'll have the truck stop harvesting the crop from the field. I see. So, so I would. Um, so you mix the beets and you mix the wheat and you add just a little bit of fluid and you get it all churned up and you just let it sit. How long would you let that sit and ferment uh, before you go ahead and, and put it into um, water to make your tea? You know, with a solid state fermentation, uh, the best way to tell if it's done, is uh, wait for the pressure to stop, number one. And then number two, when you take that material, add water, let it sit overnight, and your pH goes to four or just under four, you know that you've had a successful fermentation. Mm-hmm. Would you break out that part you said um, you ferment it till it stops? What, what exactly do you mean by that? Well, you know, when you're making a fermentation like beer or anything else like that, you know, the pressure that is that is, is the, the off-gassing that occurs? Yeah. Wait for the off-gassing that is occurring to stop. I see. So One we- way is that, I mean, in the old days, I used to put a balloon on the barrel, you know, on a barb, and it would blow up the balloon. And then when the balloon stopped blowing up and it contracted, I would know the fermentation was complete. Nowadays, <laughs> I, I just... You know, I know in these food grade barrels how many days it takes me, so I don't I don't have to you know do that research anymore. Yeah, right on. And when I when I make um, you know uh, sauerkraut and stuff, I use a plug on the top of my carboy that uh, you know it's it's an S curve and it's got water in it, so I can tell that yeah. there's bubbles going through it. So you just throw one of those on top, and then when when that stops giving off gases, you know that you're you're good to put it in some water. So when you do just immediately put it in water, mix it up and put it on the plants, because I would think that going from the dry uh, state to being in the water state, if you don't use it right away, um, that you're going to choke off the microbes that are living in there. Yeah. um, What you want to do at that point is dry it and then you can store it. You know, like you've got these how, how did Joseph make the wheat stay good for seven years for the pharaoh? He fermented it, and then he dried it, and then they put it away. That's what we do with this stuff. I see. And so, so once it's on the shelf, when you want to reactivate it and put it on your crops, do you take it out and just put it, you know, mix it right into your soil? Or are you making even, even bothering to make a tea out of it at that point? Well, what we want to do is have a multi-purpose product. And so we could... Uh, if we make a tea out of it, then um, we can apply it foliarly. But if we apply it, you know, as the tea, we're, we're not really putting down the trace minerals onto the soil surface. So we, you could go both routes, make a tea out of some of it, and then go in and broadcast your bokashi onto the soil surface roughly every 10 days to two weeks, depending on how big the plant is. Because we're not just giving... The, the plant and the, the soil, the 
probiotics that it needs. We're giving it the probiotics that it needs and the prebiotics, you know, the food for the microbes to keep the microbes happy and very uh, active. If we if we can keep the like the Streptomyces in bloom, and we can see it growing, then we know that uh, it is both making the plants immune system and the soil's immune system, everything that it can be at its zenith, and also that the photosynthesis will occur at the highest rate possible. Right on. I follow you. So <clears throat> before <clears throat> before we go to break, I just want to say that, you know, there is a, you know, hopefully at this point we have gotten folks excited about, okay, that there's alternatives to the bottle that you can create these, you know, these ultra rich um, uh, microbe communities and mycelium communities in your substrate and they will make the most amazing plants that you've ever grown though it might take you a cycle or two uh, or three to get your soil up to speed but but the goal here is to, to, to let people know to have faith that there is another solution other than the bottle um, you'll have the best grows of your life and you know you should read some and probably join the Probiotic Farmers Alliance Facebook group so that you can learn and share information with others. And you know you know you'd be producing a much better flower that's better for the people who smoke it. And and uh, you know you get to have some fun learning along the way. So with that, let's go to our second commercial and then come back and talk a little bit about the the business side of, of probiotics. Um, you are listening to Shaping Fire, and my guest today is Alan Atkinson, founder of the Probiotics Farmers Alliance and Grokashi. Using pesticides when growing cannabis has been common for a long time. Nowadays, though, we know better. We know that most pesticides formulated for food crops have never been tested for use with cannabis. They've been tested to be eaten in tiny doses. They have not been tested to be inhaled and especially not concentrated into a cannabis oil. Chemical residues from pesticides are not healthy for anyone, but they are especially dangerous for patients. For commercial cannabis growers, this has become very impactful. Cannabis enthusiasts and patients have gotten educated enough that they avoid growers who used pesticides. Not only that, but states across the country have begun making pesticide testing mandatory on all licensed cannabis crops. The time has come to find a better way to fight garden pests than covering your cannabis in chemicals. And there is a better way. Let some good bugs fight your bad bugs. Beneficial insects and predatory mites have come a long way since we were buying ladybugs online and putting them in the grow room and just hoping for the best. Natural enemies biocontrol can help you solve pest issues without using chemicals. Natural Enemies founder Shane Young learned best practices from working in the ornamental plant industry and has fine-tuned those strategies specifically for large cannabis crops. Shane works with commercial cannabis clients across the country to ensure that they keep their crops safe and pest-free without the use of chemicals. Natural Enemies has proven solutions for spider mites, aphids, thrips, russet mites, broad mites, shore flies, Whitefly, and others too. You can rely on natural enemies for expertise and excellent service. For more information, go to shapingfire.com forward slash natural enemies or simply click on their banner in this week's newsletter. Welcome back. You are listening to Shaping Fire. I am your host, Shangalo. So our guest this week is Alan Atkinson, founder of the Probiotic Farmers Alliance and Grokashi. So, you know, I know that you, uh, your life's work as far as probiotics go was the development and the releasing of Grokashi, which is, you know, your own special blend of Bokashi. And, you know, I had never heard of Bokashi before I joined the Probiotic Farmers Alliance to learn about it. So why don't you take a moment and kind of explain what it is and how it works to kind of bring people up to speed? Because, you know, I know when I first, when I used it for the first time after you gave me a sample of an Emerald Cup, I, I freaked out a little bit because like all this stuff I had never seen happened in my soil, you know, all this out of control mycelium and unidentified microbes and colorful but beneficial molds. It was very strange. So why don't you go ahead and just talk a little bit about what Bokashi is uh, from a probiotic level and we'll kind of just take it from there. Okay, the Bokashi would be a supplement that you add to your soil, you know, so that you could take advantage of competitive exclusion out on the crops and the fields. In Roman times, you know, it was used, um, you know how you had the different deities, 
one of the deities in Roman times, one of the gods was called Lacturnus. And Lacturnus was in, you know, we know it as lactic acid bacteria, but it was in charge of the safeguarding and the storage of crops. Um, the other one, the Streptomyces mycelium we we're talking about, I'm still looking for more links so that I can really nail this down. But um, it was known as uh, St. Anthony's Snow. And everyone knows about St. Anthony's Fire, you know what I mean? It's ergodism and things like that, and mm -hmm. it, it gets into the joints of people. Well, the cure for St. Anthony's Fire was the St. Anthony's Snow, this Actinomyces, Streptomyces. And what we know is that uh, when all the wheat back in those days was put, put away, you know, there was a labor force that had to uh, ferment it and put it away. And one of the reasons why it, it was done by hand is that as these Roman soldiers were returning, well, let me say this to you. When you create a soldier, you must create a psychopath because that soldier has to be able to kill. To reindoctrinate that soldier into society, what you need is some sort of an empathogen. You have to reinstall empathy in, into that soldier. And that's why they would have had this work done uh, by hand by these soldiers that were having problems that were coming back. That, you know, direct exposure to the hands and the feet with the lactic acid bacteria. And by the way, we can go to Google Scholar and look this up and find that uh, PTSD treatments, they are, they are scientifically valid uh, PTSD treatments that include these, these probiotics that we're talking about, especially lactic acid bacteria. It, it reinstalls empathy in people. Wow. So my thought is, well, Let's do the same thing. I'll, I'll get myself a, a, a surround myself with, uh, with veterans that, you know, have, have had or still have PTSD and uh, have them make these products and watch the outcome. And what I've watched is a, a real turnaround in a lot of these guys. So I'm, I've worked with uh, small business administration and will continue to to uh, provide therapy to these to these guys through their involvement in, in this Bokashi or Grokashi making, it's also nice because, um, you know, we're, we're always looking with the veterans to provide retraining when they come back. So working in solid-state fermentation technologies, is a, that's a great uh, avenue for them to go. You know, into yeah, and you're getting these 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 folks who are you know skilled and really good at project management and and getting things done, and you're you're teaching them how to use those skills in a way that's you know good for the neighbors, good for the neighborhood, good for the environment. What an amazing retraining program, and um, just the idea that them working with the 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 labs and probably handling the soil with their hands as well. The fact that that's all healing them and and regrowing empathy in them, I mean, that's really profound. I didn't actually know you were going like that far with this, and that that's that's pretty heavy duty stuff. I've oh, never heard that before. I want to I want to share some news that I got just this last week. Now, one of my I, I'm folding the Grokashi company in, and Grokashi is going to be a product under the Plant Candy label. Uh, plant Candy also uh, will have liquid umates that are revolutionary because. Our partners hold like 170 patents in the gold mining industry. And one of the problems with liquid humates is, is heavy metal content. So when we run these, these humates through gold mining equipment, we can pull out most of the heavy metals and get them out of the way. <clears throat> now, what's cool is that one of my partners has a direct avenue with four of the largest oil companies right now. So imagine, if you will, oil pipelines... You know, they're, they're prone to rupture. It happens. So if we found the average amount of oil that was spilled from one of these, uh, and we know that, like, Bokashis have been used, EM Bokashis have been used, like, on, on the Exxon Valdez, uh, or no, I think it was the Costco Busan here in the, the Bay Area to clean up oil. So if we figure out the, the amount of oil that's regularly spilled, and we have the veterans make uh, that much Bokashi, you know, three times the amount of the average spill, and have it on site, then it provides retraining for the veterans. But we're getting great involvement with the oil companies because wherever the rupture occurs, we go there and we will train the veterans and have the veterans in that area make the, the Grokashi for the next oil spill. 
So the area that was ecologically impacted, they're also going to get funding in the form of, you know, those veterans in that area are hired and retrained to make the Bokashi uh, for the next oil spill cleanup. So if it was 10,000 barrels that they spilled, we're going to make 30,000 barrels of Bokashi in that region. And so it's, it's, um, you're it's add- exciting. You're adding to the local economy, too. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and getting training for those local vets. We've, we've found a way with these corporate sponsors, you know, uh, I pray it goes through the way we, we hope it does, but it looks, it looks like it, it is going to become a reality that we're going to be able to open up shop wherever these oil spills occur. Yeah, it feels very much like a, um, a kind of a Johnny Appleseed. As the, as the environmental blight happens, you're suddenly coming in and teaching the local vets how to um, make Rokashi, which then fixes the environment and also creates new local business and retrains the vet. It sounds like it's a win, 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 like everybody involved gets a win. Exactly. It's, it, I hate to be uh, too simple at it but, or stating it, but it's like threatening them with a good time because it's, <laughs> it's the best public relations that they could ask for. Right on. So, hey, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show, Alan. You know, um, even though we're reaching the end of the show here, I can tell that you've got stories for days and we probably could have had a show that's three times as long. But um, thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule to to share with us your vision of probiotics and kind of break it down at, you know, not only a scientific level, but, you know, you really gave a lot of the history and romance of it, too. It, um, even though I, I read your posts all the time, um, you gave me a new perspective of, of working with um, fermentation as well. So, so I, I appreciate you and, and, and sharing what you know. Thank you. I'm honored just to be here. Some, some of my closest friends you've interviewed and you've impressed me every time. Oh. Uh, I like to try to surround myself with people that are so smart that they scare me. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing with this show is I'm, I'm able to surround myself with people that know more than I do. And because I'm, uh, uh, you know, I'm in media, I'm able to reach out to, you know, folks like you who inspire me and happily y'all are willing to talk to me. So uh, it, it's a, it's a benefit of what I do. So thank you very much. Alan Adkison is founder of the Probiotic Farmers Alliance and Grokashi. You can connect with Alan at grow-kashi.com. That's G-R-O-K-A-S-H-I.com. Um, or you can search for the Probiotic Farmers Alliance group on Facebook. There's also links on the podcast episode page and in this week's newsletter, too. You can find more episodes of the Shaping Fire podcast and subscribe to the show at shapingfire.com and on Apple iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you enjoyed the show, we'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a positive review of the podcast wherever you download. Your review will help others find the show so they can enjoy it, too. On the Shaping Fire website, you can also subscribe to the weekly newsletter for insights into the latest cannabis news and product reviews. On the Shaping Fire website, you will also find transcripts of today's podcast as well. For information on me and where I'll be speaking, you can check out shangolos.com. Does your company want to reach our national audience of cannabis enthusiasts? Email hotspot at shapingfire.com to find out how. Thanks for listening to Shaping Fire. I've been your host, Shango Lose. <laughs>